Carolina podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. Uh, our first and only episode this week, we took Memorial Day off here on the Utopia Football Podcast, but we do have a mailbag episode that we are doing today. Texans right smack dab in the middle of OTAs. Uh, the Astros are at the exact one-third mark of the season as we record this on a Wednesday afternoon, sitting at 32 and 22. So we got a little bit of Astros to mix in with our football talk, but it is the Utopia Football Podcast. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast. Mornings on Sports Radio 610, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. Uh, John, you got a little uh, sun there today? Uh, that's That tells me you were out at OTAs today. Welcome, I was at the OTAs, and I was in the media room for interviews with coaches. Nice. Okay, so let's start with OTAs. Uh, did, you see, did you see anything uh, out there at OTAs that – uh, is uh, is relevant or uh, worth sharing with the audience? Well, first of all, there's nothing relevant about OTAs except players making mental mistakes. And I watched all the quarterbacks, and C.J. Stroud took some reps with the ones, even though it's patty cake football, so did Davis Mills. And, uh, and I watched all the throws that they made, and considering they had uh, – Nobody covering them. Nobody pressuring them. They all look great. <laughs> they yep. should look great at this time of year. If you don't look great, something's wrong with a quarterback and a wide receiver. John, um, I guess my, my only question would be relative to the pecking order. Is Case Keenum not in the mix right now for these reps with the ones because he's been in this system already? Or if they had to go play a game today, would Case really be the emergency quarterback for this team? I think if they play today, Davis Mills would be the starter. Stroud would be the backup, and Case would be the emergency quarterback. And uh, But by the time they play, Stroud will be the starter. Yeah, through summer and, and whatnot. And then uh, I know today was a day where you got a lot of assistant coaches and coordinators at the podium. We got everybody that is a, a, a position coach and a coordinator, starting with defense coordinator Matt Burke. Okay. How was Burke? Uh, well, one of the things I wanted to know is the dynamic between him and D'Amico. D'Amico being defense his whole career, being a coordinator the last two years. Matt was a coordinator for two years with the Jets. He was defensive line coach at Arizona last year, came highly recommended by J.J. Watt. So he says they're working all that out. You know, we've asked D'Amico several times if he's going to call defenses, and he won't say. Well, I think he is. Because if Matt Burke was going to do it, he'd say Matt's going to do it. The first-time head coaches, whether they're offense or defense, generally want to call plays. And so I think D'Amico will. And uh, he and Matt, Matt Burke is doing it in 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 uh, the OTAs. And he, may, and he needs to do it at a time like this because he's learning D'Amico's system, of which D'Amico, of course, already knows. And so that'll the, the dynamic for practice and game days with those two, will Matt be upstairs? I'm guessing he will. Mm. Uh, 
if D'Amico's making the calls. There's no reason to have them both downstairs. And uh, so anyway, uh, he he was very diplomatic, of course. Uh, John, I'm curious. This isn't a mailbag question. This is a uh, this is a Sean bag question um, for you. Which of the position coaches do you think is under the most pressure this season? Well, let's see. Probably just because of the notoriety of C.J. Stroud, mm -hmm. just like Bobby Slowick's under the most pressure for coordinators. Not to say Gerard Johnson, who is first uh, first year full time quarterback coach. I would say is him because he'll spend more time with Stroud than any assistant will spend with him. Mm -hmm. You know, he'll be his confidant. He'll be the guy he comes to on the sidelines who sits next to him. And uh, Gerard, uh, if D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Slowick didn't think highly of him, they wouldn't have hired him. But I think it will definitely be him. Yeah, I, I, uh, the first one that pops into mind for me, I think uh, Gerard's a good answer. I, I think, uh, I think Chris Strauser, the offensive line coach, just given how open D'Amico has been about how good he thinks the offensive line is going to be and the fact that you've got some young players that they've invested heavy draft capital in, you know, second-round pick in Juice Scruggs. So you got to get a rookie center coached up. you got to get Kenyon Green straightened out and moving in the right direction. And the other three guys are all guys you're spending a ton of money on. So there's big investment on the offensive line, and they've been – okay as a group you know i know shaq mason wasn't here last year obviously but um but it's not been a great offensive line and i think with the rookie quarterback that you're looking to protect i don't know i feel like strauser should be pretty high up that list as well and strauser's a great one and uh, he might should be number one um i thought it was interesting pro football focus has laramie tunsil third best offensive tackle said he was number one last year in pass protection and um they praised the heck out of Shaq Mason, mm -hmm. but pointed out he's coming off his lowest graded season. Now, the Texans better hope that doesn't mean he's going down like happened last year with right guard A.J. Tan. And uh, Danny Barrett, the running back coach, was talking about Stroud and Singletary and everything involved in the backs, and he talked about center, and he mentioned, he mentioned quiz. And that would be Quisenberry. But mm -hmm. if they trade up to get Juice Scruggs in the second round, Quisenberry's not long for the starting lineup. Although I bet he goes into the season as the starter. And uh, anytime you had a rookie, rookie's going to make uh, first year mistakes. But Strouser's a good one. You know, it's two years ago, he was recognized as a great coach. Last year, he was not. What's the common denominator there? Jonathan Taylor played every game. In 2021, led the league in rushing and touchdowns. Last year, he was hurt the most of the season. Their offense wasn't as good. The line wasn't as good. And uh, I'm probably guessing Strouser didn't go brain dead over one season. I was just thinking about this, John. Can you imagine being Charlie Heck? And the reason I say that, I, you know, Charlie's not going to start for this team or anything, but he was a rookie in 2020, Bill O'Brien's last year, when Mike Devlin was the offensive line coach. And then the very next season, uh, it's James Campen. And then last year, it's George Warhop. And then this year, it's uh, it's uh, Chris Strouser. And the, and the reason I bring up Heck is he's he that him being a rookie in 2020 means four O line coaches in four years. And oh, by the way, 
his dad is one of the most successful offensive line coaches and most and longest tenured in all of football. I just think that's a it's it, there's there's a lot of irony in that whole thing to me. It is criminal what they've done to the offensive linemen with their lack of stability. It's a yeah. joke. Four coaches, four systems. It's just it's just unbelievable. And a guy like Keck and Laramie Tunsil who came here in nineteen. Yeah, and Titus and Titus Howard came here in nineteen. Uh, think about well. Laramie's played really well, but you yeah. got to think Titus Howard would be better if he'd had some continuity up front. Hopefully, Strouser's going to be here for a while. Well, Titus, look, at least with Charlie Heck, when he's gotten on the field, it's been at the same position. Damn, they moved Titus, like, not only from, from left to right, or right to left, I should say, they moved him from tackle to guard. Like, like completely different position on the other side of the line. They've jerked him around back and forth, so... Yeah, that's I'm I'm really hoping for some stability there, um, for sure. All right, John, you want to get to some of these mailbag questions? Let's do it. Okay. Uh the first one, Gus and Galena Park um says, uh, is this the year where JJ Watt? Well, he asks, is this the year that JJ Watt goes into the this will be the first year he's eligible for the Ring of Honor, but should we expect JJ Watt to go into the Ring of Honor this year uh at a home game? I'm sure he will be. An ideal game would be the Steelers when they come to town. And his brother, TJ, his other brother, Derek's a free agent. And uh, TJ uh, playing for the Steelers and the parents would be here. It's just it's just the perfect time to do it. Week four is when that game is. Uh, Gus also says, what should the criteria be for getting into the Ring of Honor for the Texans? John, you're a Hall of Fame committee member. If you were a Texans Ring of Honor committee member, what would be your criteria for getting onto the Ring of Honor? People that are no doubt that you don't have to question it for one reason or another. And uh, the guy that I think would be next to me based on what he did for the defense, what he did for the secondary, what he did for the organization is Jonathan Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've, I've thought the same about J Joe. So, but J Joe's not a hall of famer. So you're saying that like J Joe's a guy, multiple pro bowls that was with the team for a long, long time, leader on the team, great Houstonian, um, so you're saying it's like the if we're just looking at accomplishments and level of player, it's a cut below Hall of Fame, but it's somebody who's a no doubter, you know, a Pro Bowl, one of the better guys at his position for a number of years. Yeah, we can't make it the Hall of Fame. We'd have to take Andre. Down. And uh, so, yeah, I think as somebody that meant a lot to this organization over a period of time, like yeah. uh, Arian Foster, did Arian play long enough? You know, Dwayne Brown. Dwayne was a great left tackle. Some, some people say, well, what about Chester Pitts? And but to me, you've got to be, you've got to be you've got to be Pro Bowls, all pro. You know, when DeAndre Hopkins is done, he's a no-brainer to come yeah. back. But I just think J. Joe is next. And and another one that I might put up there before J. Joe is Gary Kubiak. Okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, I'll be anxious to see kind of what they do, like stepping outside of the players and coaches, you know, like I, to me, like ultimately it's a no brainer that Mark Vandermeer is in the ring of honor. Right. I mean, he's called every single Texans game since for the history of the team, I, he's going to do it for a number. Not, Mark's not going anywhere anytime soon, but by the time his career's over, he'll have called three or four decades worth of Texan games. Yeah. I don't think you'll see him in the ring of honor. I think he's more of a candidate for the McLean media wall of fame. <laughs> okay. I like, 
I like that you're low-key starting a battle between your wall of fame and the McNair's ring of honor inside the stadium. Yeah, I've never there's a lot of broadcasters that have done it a long time. Yeah. And I've never seen any of them in a ring of honor. Mm, okay. Maybe there is. But I haven't known it. It's all players and coaches. Well, in that case, Vandermeer's a no-brainer for the McLean Media Wall of Fame then, right? Should be. Okay. Do you have a vote for that, John? I do now. They didn't give me one for Berman. I didn't get a say. I said, shouldn't McLean, if McLean's name's on it, shouldn't McLean get a, a right. vote on this? And they said, oh, no. Right. I said, what if I didn't want him up there? Well, he could change the name to the Texans media wall of fame and you said all right fine we'll put him in i know we planned this <laughs> catering we already we can't cancel the caterer we already put a deposit down on the caterer uh while well, we're talking they did a great job they, they, job they did a fantastic job and for those who don't know the you know what we're talking about mark berman was added to the uh the john mcclain we're not even you know we're not this not tongue-in-cheek it is literally the john mcclain wall of fame in the press box at uh at nrg stadium uh uh, John, I tweeted this the day that Mark announced his retirement. I, I, and I mean this, like, I think he might be the best person I've met at their job, like across any job. I'm not saying like, he's the best reporter. Like he might be the person. If somebody asks you, who's the best person, you know, at their job, Mark Berman might be the answer for me. He's incredible. Well, I, he is incredible. He's been one of my best friends for four decades, but uh, Dr. James Muntz, he saves lives. Well, that's true. I, say, and I, I think I might take a doctor, but Berman is the best reporter I've ever seen, print or broadcast, hardest worker, and boy, fans in Houston, are, they just take him for granted, some of the things he does. Uh, today, before the Texans, he was down for the down in an event for the Houston Open Golf Tournament. Then he rushed over to the stadium in time for interviews he's everywhere yeah john i think you knew what i meant i i know people who save lives i'm not saying the importance of his job was the most important and you made me feel like a heel because dr james Muntz practically saved my life one time back in 2009 when i had a pancreas issue yeah i'm, gonna I'm seeing months for a physical i'm going to tell him you said Berman does his job better than he does. No, I did. I said that Berman's the best. <laughs> I said he did it better than everybody. I didn't make it a tale of the tape with Dr. James Muntz and Mark Berman. <laughs> uh, tell him I said hello, by the way. Berman's the okay. best journalist I've ever known. Yeah, I guess that's a fair way to put it. Maybe I'm being a little hyperbolic. <laughs> oh, and shout out to all the first responders out there who save people's lives. <laughs> John making me feel like <laughs> all right. Let's get back to some football. Here's something unimportant like football. We'll save the rest of this for our first responder podcast that we do. Um, Jose John on the southeast side says, I was excited to hear about the Texans joint practices with the Dolphins and the Saints. Why haven't they done that the last couple of years? Well, I, I'm guessing that uh, now Nick Casario basically was running a show with uh david cully mm -hmm. what they told me with cully is david wanted all the teaching time with him and his coaches since he was a head coach for the first time okay and then lovey it was lovey's decision and for whatever reason he didn't want to do it yeah and now casario at new england they always do them. they did them with and, the texans at the greenbrier yeah, 
but they leave it. They leave that up to the head coaches. Okay. Miko likes it. 49ers did it. So they're doing too. I think that's great. Yeah. No, I do too, John. And you know what this is going to prevent? This is going to prevent me and you from looking stupid again this year. I think part of the reason why you and I went over the win total last year with the Texans, you and I both predicted they'd win six games. They won half of that. I think part of that was you and I got hyped up at these practices watching the Texans execute some things well, ignoring the fact that they were going against, wait for it, the Houston Texans in the process. So I think to to get to watch them, in all seriousness, to get to watch them in an ecosystem where there's another NFL team injected into this, I, I think it stands to reason we're going to get a little bit more realistic view of where this team is at heading into week one of the season, don't you think? Yeah, but we could, that means we could even get more hyped up. Maybe, maybe, but at least at least then we're getting hyped up behind some logic. Like in retrospect, for us to get hyped up about the Texans doing something against themselves, like one of the two sides is going to look good in a practice amongst the Texans, one would think, right? Yeah, Derek Stingley's running down the field with Tyreek Hill and batting away passes. Thank you. Yeah. Don't get fired up. Obviously, there you go. Happening or not going to happen. Because Miami's offense is so good with Tua Tungvaluwa is healthy. Yep. And then New Orleans, uh, that'll be interesting. You know, they they should run away with the NFC South just because they've got uh, Derek Carr, even though he's never won a playoff game and has only been in one. He's still head and shoulders above the quarterbacks in that division. So there'll be a little more to the Texans' taste, and they'll be playing. They play in regular season. They play in New Orleans, right? They uh, the New Orleans game is in New Orleans. Yes, in New Orleans. Yeah. Well, no, the regular the regular season game is here. The okay. preseason game is in New Orleans. Yeah. Okay. So you know, sometimes teams that play each other don't like to do joint practices. So I like the fact they're going to do it against the Saints. I do too. All right. Let's uh, let's keep it moving. And um, Jimmy has this one. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. We haven't talked about D Hop yet on this podcast, John. Um, Hopkins, a free agent right now. And he says, Hopkins has been a three-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, six 1,000-yard seasons. General, you are part of the Hall of Fame selection committee. What are Hopkins' Hall of Fame chances? He needs to play more because there's a lot of receivers with gaudy statistics, and a lot of them are not in the Hall of Fame. And uh, so Diop is going to have to do more of what he's done, bounce back from the last two years, stay healthy, don't get suspended. And I, I used to talk to him near the end of his career here about the Hall of Fame, what he needed to do, how long he needed to make sure he played. So at this point of his career, he's got other things to worry about. But once he gets settled with his new team, and hopefully it's with a playoff contender, you know, that'll cross his mind. And the best thing is to be durable and to be consistent. And he has until the last two seasons. Yeah, he's still he's still consistent when he gets on the field, but you're right. He's missed he's missed 50, he missed 15 games the last two years for a variety of different reasons, uh different injuries and obviously the PED suspension, which isn't the death sentence in football, obviously that it is if you get caught in in uh in baseball. I guess John, as long as we're talking about Hopkins, uh your first chance to do this on the podcast, um handicap it for us. What do you think the short list looks like? Where do you think Hopkins winds up playing in 2023? Uh, everybody's talking about Kansas City, mm-hmm. Buffalo, Cleveland, and for some reason, the national media is talking about New England. If he goes to the Patriots, I will be shocked and I will faint 
and he, I worry about hitting my head and getting a concussion. Okay. You are, I will say this, you are the most staunch that I've heard and talked to about him not going to New England. You're, you're, you're standing on the table about that one. Every problem that existed between him and Bill O'Brien still exists. Meaning Here's what? another thing. Well, like one day, he used to drive O'Brien crazy. He wouldn't practice. He didn't practice in Arizona. Yeah. Yep. I remember the first season, DeAndre Hopkins hadn't practiced two days. He may not play. And I tweet, just relax because he's going to play. He never practices. That drove O'Brien crazy. It would drive Belichick crazy. I just don't see them bringing him in here because they're not a Super Bowl team and they don't have a great quarterback. He wants to go for a great quarterback. I'm curious to see who can come up with the money that is a great team. Does he want to play with Watson and the Browns? Would he sacrifice money with another team to go to Cleveland to be reunited with Watson? I don't know. Yeah, he's made a lot of money. He's single, yeah. but money always, always, in, in not always, in almost every instance, Sean, money is the factor. Yeah, no, I I I agree with you on that, um, John. Uh I I guess my only question when I hear you talk about Hopkins not practicing, and obviously, you know, we've, knew, we've known about that for a while. What do his teammates think of that? You think his teammates are, are, are I don't know, is there an envy or is there a, uh, maybe like any sort of lingering bitterness that, hey, why does this guy not have to practice? Uh, there might be somebody, but in here the players didn't care because he always produced on Sunday. Yeah. It's like Bill Parcells had a set of rules for all players and another set of rules for Lawrence Taylor. Yep. Because Taylor always played on Sunday. All right, let's uh, let's keep it moving. And uh, a few more questions here. Um, John, we have a listener, John, who's in Sydney, Australia. He says, uh, hi, guys. I'm John from Sydney, Australia. Well, uh, mate. <laughs> massive fan of your podcast and even bigger Texan fan. High hopes for the upcoming season with Stroud and staying positive with getting more than the six wins John McClain has predicted. Have you gone on the record with a six-win prediction yet, John? I just said I've been saying all along if they could double their win total and get yeah. six, that would be it. When you you asked me to go over all the games, I had seven, I think, wins with three left, and I had to bump the brakes. So I think after training camp, I'll write a column the week of the season for SportsRadio610.com where my columns are, and I'll do a prediction column game by game and see if I've seen enough of C.J. Stroud. It's hard to pick a rookie quarterback to win eight games. Yeah, no, no it's doubt. Hard. No doubt. On a team that clearly still has work to do on its roster on top of that. Yes, so it's one absolutely. thing if you're plunking a rookie down on a good team uh, or an already, already a playoff team. Um, and, that, and that's right. You and I went game by game. That was fun. I forgot about that. And you, you wound up on seven wins. Here's John's question. Rugby league football is making a blockbuster season kickoff in Vegas in 2024. Will you guys be watching and maybe discovering the next Jordan Malata? Extremely brutal wreckage with no shoulder pads or helmet. Great entertainment for 80 minutes, to say the least. Um, I did not know about this rugby league. Uh, I've been to a couple rugby games that are really, really fun. Are you surprised there's not more former rugby players in the NFL, John? I am. Um, who was the Raiders receiver that went to Australia to play? I can't remember. I don't remember went, either. It was it was the opposite. Instead of a guy like Malata coming here, uh, I've seen rugby. I respect the heck out of it. No guy, a couple of guys that played it. They have no respect for soccer players whatsoever. They're wimps. And uh, 
uh, and I know about the rugby league and then the team here. Uh, what's the name of the team here? I forgot. They got their own Sabre. The Sabre Cats, the Houston Sabre Cats. And they're very popular. I've had a couple of invitations to go to games. Haven't had time, but will I watch it? No, I don't watch the XFL, USFL. I just watch pro and college football. There you go. There's only so many hours in a day. I may check it out, uh, especially since, John, you're a loyal listener. If you had said that you're a massive fan of the Texans and an even bigger fan of the podcast, I'd be more likely to watch it, but you went the other way around. Massive fan of the podcast and bigger fan of the Texans. If you ever want to go to a rugby game, let me know because I have a standing invitation to tailgate for a place that it looks like they have a great time. Oh, yeah. Rugby is a partying sport, man. John, We, in all seriousness, we appreciate you listening to the podcast from Australia. Tell a friend, mate. We appreciate that very, very much. Um, Joe Q has a trivia question for you, John. Uh, Would you like to hear it? Sure. Okay. Joe Q, frequent emailer to the podcast. Between Ohio State, Baylor, and Rice, rank them in terms of the number of NFL slash AFL games started at quarterback by players who finished their careers at the school. So Jared Stidham doesn't count for Baylor, and Joe Burrow doesn't count for Ohio State. It's where they finished their school. Can you rank Rice, Ohio State, and Baylor in order of the most games started at the professional level? Rice had Dr. Frank Ryan, Tobin Rote, and King Hill. So that was three guys that finished there that played a long time. And Baylor had guys like, uh, 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 I'm going to say Rice because of those three. It's Rice, 351 games. And it's it's not even close. That is a great trivia question. Yep. Baylor, two, 217 games. And then Ohio State, three, with 196 games. That is a great – send that to me so I can tweet it. Or you tweet it, and I'll retweet it. I'll send it to you, John. I'll I'll send it to you. You can tweet it out there. Um, It feels like it it has more of a John McClain ethos than a Sean Pendergast ethos with that old-school football stuff in there. So I'll send you the – sorry, it didn't have Notre Dame in there. Uh, Actually – you know, John, it was just ranking those three schools with each other. I'm sure if they threw Notre Dame in, we've had 8,462 <laughs> quarterbacks. Uh, now that I look at this, I'm like, well, I mean, because – Who is the greatest Notre Dame quarterback? Montana. Obviously. Joe Montana, yeah. Joe Montana. But after Montana. Daryl LaMonica, maybe? LaMonica was great with the Raiders. Yes, he was. Yep, Daryl LaMonica. I mean, Paul, Paul, Horn, Paul Horning was a quarterback in college, right? I mean, he was – Yeah, yeah. but he wouldn't count in the NFL. The biggest no. disappointment to me was John Hewitt. John Hewitt, that's old school. He was a Heisman winner back in the day. Yeah. I think more currently, I think people would say Rick Meyer, um, yeah. who was the number two pick in the draft. I was at Rick's house the day he was drafted. Is that right? Yeah, I was at his draft Sober? party. What's that? Sober? Uh, by the end of the day, I wasn't, I don't think, but we things started, that was back when the draft was on the weekend, John, that was, so it wasn't a Thursday night affair back then. It was, we all went over to his parents' house in Goshen, Indiana, and there's a big Nike cake on the table, like a gigantic Nike sheet cake on the table. And Rick spent most of his time on the phone in the other room. Cause up until the morning of, he didn't know if he was going to the Patriots or the Seahawks. That was the, that was the Bledsoe Meyer draft at the top. Boy, did the Patriots make the right pick. Did they ever? Yep, they sure did. And I still keep in touch with Rick to this day, but he knows it. He and Drew became good friends. Scouts told me Scouts told me that Myers' problem is he just wasn't accurate. He's had it mentally, 
He had it physically, but he just wasn't accurate. Yeah, and I watched some of those NFL film, not NFL, NFL Network shows, Top 10 Bus, Top 10 This. You're on a ton of those uh, doing, you know, little vignettes and stuff. Um, and apparently, the you know, Rick is always in the top five when they do a bust one. He's like, oh, the fourth big, Leaf is always number one. And Rick is always somewhere to be found on that video, on that show. And I guess there was also issues. He had trouble like picking up the offense uh, early on in his career too. Like they kept it. He had a decent rookie year because they kept things super simple for him, but eventually you need to make it more complex or defenses catch up. Yeah. Well, that's bad coaching too. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so that was, uh, so Notre Dame probably may not be in that mix. Who knows? Um, you want a couple Astro questions real quick, John? Of course. Okay. It's from Michael. What's the drop dead date on the Astros figuring out this Abreu situation? <laughs> hey, hit a home run. What do you want? He has I know. Fly. To be I, fair, Michael might have sent this question before the home run. Well, I mean, he's got one home run. Give me a friggin' break. You notice on TV, if he hits a fly ball, it's a sacrifice fly. They go on and on and on. But when he strikes <laughs> so out on a pitch John. that is 10 feet out of the zone, they don't even mention it, even though we've it, just seen it. It's John. They treat him like you treat the worst kid on a little league team, like if yes, he makes yes. good contact, right? Yes, the guy that has to play two and a half innings or one and a half innings. <laughs> yeah, that's how the announcers treat him. You know what I like about this time of year, John? Because they're exactly one third of the way through the season. Is that all you have to do is multiply everybody's stats times three, and you can tell like what they're on pace for? Braves is really easy. He's on pace for three home runs right now and was he like that'd be like 57 rbi something like that he's yes he's got like 19 rbis yes dude what a disaster um I, here's the thing i guess just to answer the question um i i think he's gonna be unless they trade for somebody he's in the lineup that, that is the one position john first base where they don't have a backup right now dubon can back up at, at all the infield positions and they've got a plethora of outfielders especially since Jordan has turned himself into a pretty decent outfielder he's not somebody throw out there you know every fifth day like he plays a lot of left field Jordan does and they've got jolks and and McCormick and Myers Tucker's not going anywhere he's going to be the right fielder um they've got three catchers they don't have a backup first baseman so he's going to play Niner. Yeah, like I said, they don't have a backup. They don't have first, a backup first they base. They don't have a backup first base. Yiner might not even be the backup catcher much longer. The way he's playing behind the plate, so I, I have a, I have less of an issue now with Abreu because they're go let him work his stuff out in the six and seven hole as long as they're not dropping a grenade in between Jordan and Tucker every day out. Like you know, I know Bregman hasn't had a great year so far, but you can see signs with Bregman that oh yeah, Bregman it'll click fun. in. I mean, he was great last night. He walks even when he's terrible swinging the bat, he gets walks. He gets on base. You this know? month he has been tremendous. He's been good. He's been good. Um all right, last one, John. Last Astros question. Um this is from Brittany the Stros fan. She says the Astros are getting healthier, but obviously we're waiting on Urquidy, Lance and Uncle Mike. Two of those three, I have no idea. This is me talking. Two of those three, I don't know if they play the rest of the year. Lance and Uncle Mike. But this is a hypothetical, John. You ready? Of those three, <clears throat> pick one to get back now for the rest of the season. Pick one that you get back for the playoffs only. And then pick one you don't get back at all. If we didn't get one back at all, it would be Brantley. The one I'd like to have for the rest of the season would be McCullers. Mm -hmm. Because he's a top rotation 
top top guy. Yep. Your TD last year couldn't even get in the playoffs. So he would be the one that just came back for the playoffs. But playoffs only for Akiti. I would probably go I Lance is a good one because you they I mean, we're feeling this now. They 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 want to go to a six-man rotation uh, during this stretch of 17 straight days of baseball. Um, and they've got nobody. They're gonna have to bring up Renell Blanco. They were gonna bring up Forrest Whitley, it sounds like, to pitch a game uh or two. So I would I'm with you on Lance. I would flip it. And just say, I would say Brantley. This is assuming you get all these guys back at their whatever their normal powers are, right? You, like, you know, Brantley will be coming into the postseason as whatever 36 year old Brantley is. So I would say Lance, rest of the season, Brantley playoffs only, just because that'd be a valuable bat to have in some situations, I think, pinch hitting and whatnot, um, especially left handed bat. And then I'm okay with not getting Urquidy back at all because I think they've still got a pretty deep bullpen. And I don't know that. Urquidy, if Lance is healthy, I think you've got you only need four starters. And I I don't know right now, Framber, Christian Javier, and Hunter Brown are three guys that are to me no-brainer starters for this team. And I think if you've got McCullers, there's your fourth. And remember, they were working out Brantley at first base in spring training. That's another one. Yeah. And so yeah. he and he was he was willing to do it and yep. it looked like he has really gotten into it. Yeah. And so he would be a better backup first baseman. I got to think like they did with Mancini and Vasquez last year, they got to come up with a couple of bats. They don't need outfielders anymore. He doesn't play Dubon enough, but I don't know where he would play him. He's not a first baseman, but they got to get somebody who can back up at first base. Yeah. Uh, They, they absolutely do. It's got to be a priority for them. No doubt. Um, so, John, what do you got going on on the various platforms O McLean? On SportsRadio610.com, I will have a column uh, early in the morning and on the uh, station's newsletter, a column with new defensive coordinator Matt Burke talking about the dynamic with him and D'Amico Ryans and what he expects out of some of the defensive players like Will Anderson Jr. And then tomorrow I'll do one about uh, new coordinator Bobby Spurs. Bobby Slowick and uh, CJ Stratton. All right, there you go. John, I appreciate the time as always. I know the listeners of the podcast appreciate the time as always as well. Thank you very much. Had a lot of fun as always. Uh, absolutely. A lot of laughs today on the podcast. Big thanks to uh, to um, to all the folks listening, clicking that subscribe button. We really appreciate it. Uh, giving us a, a rating on there really helps as well. And whatever, whatever method it is that you listen to the podcast, clicking the subscribe button always makes it easier for you you don't have to go seeking it out um you can just uh just wake up and there it is voila in your podcast uh sitting right there in your tv tray the equivalent the metaphorical tv tray in your podcast ready to be consumed um for the hall of famer john mcclain i'm sean pendergast we are out of time we will see you for two new episodes next week as otas roll on for the houston texans have a great week everybody